Amen. The book of Numbers is about the death and resurrection of Israel. That's one way to think about what's happening here. You can affirm many good truths about what's happening in Numbers from start to finish. This is a big one. That the book of Numbers tells the death and resurrection of the nation. And what I mean by that is that the people that begin the book of Numbers are not all alive by the end of Numbers. In fact, even before the end. And the reason has to do with this Exodus generation that has left Egypt, gone to Sinai, received commandments, a covenant, a tabernacle, many great things, including regulations in Leviticus to approach the Lord, to be ritually clean and fitting to come and worship and offer sacrifice. And in the book of Numbers, this group is going to depart, leaving Sinai, heading toward the promised land of inheritance. But what happens in Numbers 13 and 14 is this group that had left to go inherit the land, warriors that were counted in Numbers 1 who would do the fighting of the conquest, they're part of a generation that rebelled in Numbers 13 and 14. The wilderness generation is rightly associated with wickedness and unbelief. We have two major censuses in Numbers. And both of them tell the story of death and resurrection. Numbers chapter 1, the very opening chapter of the book, was about counting warriors who were 20 years old and up that would fight for the Israelites as males from the Israelite tribes. With the exception of the tribe of Levi, the others were counted. And in Numbers chapter 1, a total was given, 603,550 from the total in Numbers 1. Those were the warriors that would fight for Israel. These are not the same heads that are counted in the second main census of the book. We come to that tonight, Numbers 26. This census also has a military purpose. The Israelites are positioned on the eastern side of the Jordan River in the plains of Moab. And you notice on Bible maps how close that really is. They're right across from Jericho, in Moab, across from Jericho, awaiting the cue in the book of Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Take the people. In Numbers, Moses, my servant, is not yet dead. However, we have begun to see a transition of generation. Moses' older brother Aaron died in Numbers 20, as did Moses' older sister Miriam. And over the course of the rebellious generation's life, 40 years of wandering has unfolded. And I've suggested to you in our time last time in Numbers 25, that the wilderness generation of rebels has now been fully judged. What I, what I want to do is return to that in a moment. But we're going to look tonight at a census where there are some tribes that are named and some sums, figures that are given. And, and what I want you to notice is that this is not like any of these narratives and oracles we've dealt with previously. This is an orderly list that is given. This is not the thing that comes to mind when someone says, can you tell me about what Bible chapters are most meaningful to you in your walk with the Lord? People aren't naming Numbers 26. All right, and so we, just have, we have to be obvious to the fact that this is containing a kind of writing that we look at and might, and might be more prone perhaps to say, all right, some census, some names, you know, we're going to move right on. But I want to study this section of, chap of this chapter together, these, uh, these verses, and notice what we can 
in the following ways. When you look at something like tonight, where there's some genealogical markers, some numbers that are given, it is good to check for comments along the way as numbers and names are given. These are not just a pattern unbroken of names and numbers. If we are careful readers, we're going to notice tonight some expansions on certain names or tribes. Things that are connected to notice that matter for the story. So we want to check for comments within the census or genealogies. Secondly, we should wonder, are there names we recognize? Is there someone mentioned through here or a group of people we notice that we say, I'm familiar with that name and why? We also want to keep in mind, how would this connect to what's preceded it? We've had this big event with Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the high priest. He has speared a fornicating couple in their tent south of the tabernacle. This is a major event in Numbers 25. And Numbers 27 will also be a narrative. Why is there a census between them here in Numbers 26? And then lastly, when we look at passages like this, chapters like this, we should think to ourselves, what should a, a genealogy or a census like this tell us about the Lord? What is it about his covenant, his promises that is being shown to me here in a different kind of arrangement? Not a narrative, but a lot of numbers, a lot of names, genealogy in order. Now, I do want to mention two purposes for this chapter and then we'll look at some of its details. The first purpose is a military one. Warriors are going to be counted. By the time all is said and done, the total for these warriors is going to be 601,730. That number is not the same as numbers one. What I think will be helpful on the board tonight is to look at them side by side. The book itself of numbers doesn't present them side by side like this. So I've put together this little uh, chart so that we can notice what we're going to walk through out loud and seeing it. This will help me. Maybe this will help you. Uh, but then secondly, the purpose uh, number two for this chapter is not just a military one, but one for inheritance purposes. We're going to notice later in this chapter something that wasn't specified in Numbers 1. There is going to be language about the size of tribes being a clue and a guide for how much inheritance is going to be received by those very tribes. Now, why would inheritance be on the table for discussion at all? Well, what year are we in the Israelites' uh, timeline here? Where and when are we? Well, we are in the where land of Moab right across the Jordan River from Jericho. The when is the 40th year of Israel's wandering. In other words, inheritance is more relevant in that year than in the previous years of wandering because it is drawn near to them in the timeline. Now, verses 1 to 4, we begin looking at a command. So let's look at the, the command to call a census first. Verses 1 to 4, it says, After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel from 20 years old and upward by their father's houses, all in Israel who are able to go to war. Some of this we've seen already. Language about taking a census, well, that matches nicely with chapter 1. The idea of the age, even, 20 years old and upward, that's also how it was laid out in Numbers 1. And the specificity at the end of verse 2, they are able to go to war. Why is that important for them to consider and to count? Because when they go 
into the land to inherit it. It is not a vacant land. It is an occupied land with Canaanites, fortresses, Canaanite armies, which will require battles. And so the conquest of the land is being foreshadowed with language like all in Israel who are able to go to war. We're expecting something to come. That will happen most fully in the book of Joshua. So it's not like it's happening in a few chapters. But timeline-wise, Israel is drawing very near to it. Did you notice in verse 1 where it says, After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take this census. What plague is referenced? Well, chapter 25 is what's uh, invoked here. Chapter 25, the Lord brought a plague upon the camp of Israel because they began to, they began to enact with sexual immorality and idolatry these things within uh, their camp and with Moabite women. This was so sacrilegious. This was so outrageous that the judgment of the Lord was, was fitting with this situation. And a plague came out. And not only did a plague erupt, it was the largest death toll in the Israelite camp that they'd ever experienced to this point in the biblical record. 24,000 Israelites fall under the judgment of God. That's more than in Korah and his rebellion back in chapter 16. So this plague and the judgment of the Lord had a huge scope of casualties. And we know the, the uh, plague was stopped by Phineas. He was zealous for the glory of God and the righteousness of Yahweh's law. Phineas would not stand for this kind of uh, defilement of the camp of Israel by the Israelites. And he was a guardian of the tabernacle and a Levite. As a guardian of the tabernacle, it was his responsibility to take the holiness of Yahweh seriously. Even if an Israelite man named Zimri brought in a Midianite woman to his tent, not taking the law seriously. Phineas would show us, if you will, the best of the next generation. We would want people to be zealous for the law of Yahweh and who care about the holy things of the camp and tabernacle. Now, this census is then a command in verses 1 and 2 after the plague. In verses 3 and following, Moses and Eleazar the priest spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses, the people of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were. Now, what you're going to notice after that command is a series of 12 tribes. We've heard all of the names of these tribes before. It's rooted by name in the account of Genesis. These are the sons of Jacob, who was renamed himself Israel. Uh, he didn't name himself, but he himself was renamed. That's the better way to say it. And after uh, being named Israel, all of his descendants, these Israelite sons, would be the heads of tribes. These numbered warriors are going to occur in an order that jives well with uh, Numbers chapter 1. The first one that we notice is Reuben. Let's think about his tribe, Reuben, first. Reuben, in verse 5, the firstborn of Israel, the sons of Reuben, of Hanok, the clan of the Hanokites, of Palu, the clan of the Paluites, of Hezron, the clan of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the clan of the Carmites. These are the clans of the Reubenites. And those listed were 43,730. So I want you to notice a comparison here. On the, on the board, as we look at the numbers 1 and 26 numbers, in Numbers 1, Reuben had a larger number. And here we then see a difference 
where there is a subtraction in the total, by looking at it side by side, we're going to notice that there are going to be tribes that will decrease in number. And there will be other tribes that increase in number. Before the next gentleman is, is mentioned as a, the second person from Jacob who would be the next tribe, a group from Reuben is given a little more information. This is part of the payoff of paying attention to the census here. He could move from Reuben next to Simeon, which will happen in verse 12. But a little bit more information about that Palu and the Paluites. Here's what to notice. Verse 8. And the sons of Palu, Eliab, the sons of Eliab, Namuel, Dathan, and Abiram. Oh, hold, hold on for a second here. Dathan and Abiram. We know those names from number 16. They joined Korah in the rebellion. So he, he then says, these are the Dathan and Abiram, chosen from the congregation, who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah, when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a warning. But the sons of Korah did not die. Back in number 16, the Lord, through Moses, said to those rebels that they would face judgment of God. And he called the Israelites to separate themselves from the tents of Korah. And then the earth would open up and the judgment of the Lord would consume the adversaries. We can draw the following conclusion based on Numbers 26. When Moses called for people to separate themselves from the wicked Korah, you know who separated themselves? Korah's children. Korah's sons understood the wickedness of their father, the gravity of the judgment, and they left to follow Yahweh and not face wrath. Here, these sons of Korah are the predecessors for the psalmists who are known as the sons of Korah. Those who are writing those songs in Psalm 42 and following, and some of those like Psalm 88 and 84 through 88. Those sons of Korah, they come down the line from these predecessors who separated themselves from wickedness. The sons of Korah did not die. In fact, their descendants, also known as sons of Korah, would have an important role as hymn and psalm writers for Israel. So we notice these things. Even though this is a census with, uh, with some, uh, some uh, charts and numbers to analyze, this commentary on some descendants from Reuben is worth noticing. We see a reference to number 16 story. And we, uh, we are reminded the sons of Korah did not join their father in rebellion. Then verse 12, the sons of Simeon. So we come now to the sons of Simeon according to their clans of Nemuel, the clan of the Nemuelites, of Jamin, the clan of the Jamanites, of Jacob, the clan of the Jaconites, of Zerah, the clan of the Zerahites, of Shaul, the clan of the Shaulites. These are the clans of the Simeonites, 22,200. That's the number not of the clans, but of the clans. These are the number of the warriors. So just to be clear, 22,200. Well, what do we notice here? Well, Wow. Okay, so if you back up to Reuben, 46,500 to 43,300, or 730 rather, that's a little over, uh, it was nearly 3,000 of a difference, a decline. Well, the Simeonites have experienced a tremendous drop. In fact, the Simeonites experience the largest decline in the whole list. The Simeonites. 59,300 in Numbers 1 to 22,000. It is a decline of 
22,000 uh, that we see there. Uh, I left off the 22,200. It should say 22,200. This board is not inspired. I did the best I can. But the biblical record is correct. If this says one thing and the board says, just trust the scriptures. All right, so uh, what we notice here, though, is such a tremendous drop. Why might that be the case? And if a suggested possibility is to be put forward, I'd want you to consider the previous chapter. Where was Zimri from? Where was this wicked Israelite from who brought a Midianite woman into the camp to commit sexual immorality and idolatry? Zimri was from the tribe of Simeon. Among the Simeonites, immorality and idolatry was being cultivated, and that might explain why in the very next chapter, among the, uh, those that experience a decline, not only are the Simeonites a tribe that declines, they decline the most. Perhaps among the tribes of Israel, then, we could see with Numbers 25, maybe they were the most complicit of the tribes in the immorality and idolatry. These might be ways to explain such a severe decline. Now look in verse 15. The sons of Gad, according to their clans, of Zephon, the clan of the Zephonites, of Haggai, the clan of the Haggites, of Shuni, the clan of the Shunites, of Ozni, the clan of the Oznites, of Eri, the clan of the Erites, of Arad, the clan of the Eridites, of Ereli, the clan of the Erelites. These are the clans of the sons of Gad as they were listed. Here's the total of the warriors 40,500. This is also a loss. 45,650 in Numbers 1, with over 5,000 in decline here in Numbers 26. So we've seen a momentum of decline. That's not the momentum you want. And it changes with the tribe of Judah. In verse 19, the sons of Judah were Er and Onan, and Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. You say, wait a second, we're in Numbers, and we've been talking about those guys. Those are not from Numbers. They're mentioned in Numbers. They are from Genesis. We, we see the death of Ur and the death of Onan in Genesis 38. Judah had other children. But here we're told about those earlier sons and the fact that they died, they do not have offspring. We are given some language about offspring in verse 20. The sons of Judah, according to their clans, were of Shelah, the clan of the Shelanites, of Perez, the clan of the Perizzites. Sounds like parasites, you know. Zerah, the clan of the Zerahites. The sons of Perez were of Hezron, the clan of the Hezronites, of Hamul, the clan of the Hamulites, and these were the clans of Judah as they were listed. 76,500. Here's what we can notice then. The first increase. From 74,600 to 76,500, almost 2,000 more people. Then we move to Issachar in chapter 26-23. The sons of Issachar, according to their clans, of Tola, the clan of the Tolaites, of Puvah, the clan of the Punites, of Jashub, the clan of the Jashubites, of Shimron, the clan of the Shimronites. These are the clans of Issachar as they were listed, 64,300. This also is an increase, pretty substantial even, an increase of nearly 10,000. Look in verse 26. The sons of Zebulun, according to their clans, of Sered, the clan of the Seredites, of Elon, the clan of the Elonites, of Jalil, the clan of the Jalilites. These are the clans of the Zebulonites as they were listed. 60,500. 60,500 is also an increase. So we went from a momentum of decline to now seeing a momentum of increase. 
We see if this continues. Verse 28 is going to tell you something about the father of the next two tribes. Joseph is not going to be listed on this list because when Levi was given priestly activity, Joseph's tribe divided into two tribes based on his children, Ephraim and Manasseh. Therefore, we count among the 12 tribes, not Joseph, the son of Jacob, but Ephraim and Manasseh, the grandsons of Jacob. So we have in verse 28, the sons of Joseph, according to their clans, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it will give you Manasseh first, thereafter Zebulun, Manasseh first. Verse 29, the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the clan of the Machirites. And Machir was the father of Gilead, of Gilead, the clan of the Gileadites. I do like how if you get the name of the person, you can probably guess the name of the clan. I'm just going to add ites to it. Sometimes knights to it, but you're going to get pretty close. So you uh, probably 98% of the time are going to get it right. And then if you notice in verse 30, these are the clans of Gilead. They're just picking up a little more about those descendants of Manasseh. The sons of Gilead of Eazer, the clan of the Eazerites, of Helek, the clan of the Helekites, and of Asriel, the clan of the Asrielites, and of Shechem, the clan of the Shechemites. Verse 32, and of Shemida, the clan of the Shemidites, and of Hefer, the clan of the Heferites. But we're not done with Manasseh yet. We're going to have a comment on the story. The comment on the story in verse 33 is going to be connected to something we're going to notice in the very next chapter of Numbers. So I want you to know this name. In verse 33, here's still a descendant of Manasseh. Now Zelophehad, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Malah, Noah, Haglah, Milcah, and Tirzah. These are the clans of Manasseh. And those listed were 52,700. So he is going to give you the final number. That's what the point of this is. And it's going to be an increase and a very substantial one for Manasseh. But right before that number, he said, by the way, there was a guy named Zelophehad. And something he did not have were sons. Zelophehad had daughters and only daughters, five of them named. The reason that's given as a comment here is when you turn to Numbers 27, the daughters of Zelophehad are featured in the narrative. And you've been given their name and that there's a situation of an issue. There's no sons to inherit land. We've got daughters. What are we going to do about that with inheritance that's to come? Numbers 27 is going to pick up on that. This is another reason why we are pausing for some uh, comments on these comments. Because when Zelophehad and his daughters are mentioned, why might that be? And as a reader, it foreshadows what the next chapter will address. And the, the increase here, I wanted you to know something about Manasseh here. Manasseh has experienced the largest increase of all the tribes. Simeon experiences the largest decline. Manasseh experiences the largest increase. An increase of over 20,000 people. That's incredible compared to some of the others that are just maybe a slight increase here or there. Let's look at Ephraim in verse 35. These are the sons of Ephraim according to their clans. Of Shuthila, the clan of the Shuthilites, there we go. Of Becher, the son of the Becherites. Of Tahan, the clan of the Tahanites. And these are the sons of Shuthila. Of Aaron, the clan of the Aaronites. These are the clans of Ephraim as they were listed. 32,500. These are the sons of Joseph according to their clans. 
So Ephraim and Manasseh are introduced to us. One has an incredible increase. But Ephraim, the momentum is broken now. The momentum of the increase is broken. Ephraim decreases by 8,000 people. Look in verse 38 with the sons of Benjamin. According to their clans, it works out this way. Of Bela, the clan of the Belites. Of Ashbel, the clan of the Ashbelites. Of Ahiram, the clan of the Ahiramites. Of Shufufam, the clan of the the Shufamites. And of Hufam, the clan of the Hufamites. And the sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman. Of Ard, the clan of the Ardites. Of Naaman, the clan of the Naamites. These are the sons of Benjamin according to their clans. Those listed were 45,600. And so we notice here an increase. So you think, okay, we started a decline, but there's no momentum to build. It just goes right back. And really a substantial increase from Benjamin. Over 10,000 additional people counted. Warriors. Who will go to war? Verse 42, these are the sons of Dan according to their clans. Of Shuham, the clan of the Shuhamites. These are the clans of Dan according to their clans. All the clans of the Shuhamites as they were listed. 64,400. We have there a slight increase of 1,700 from Numbers 1 to Numbers 26. And then in verse 44, the sons of Asher according to their clans. Of Imnah, the clan of the Imnites. Of Ishvi, the clan of the Ishvites. Of Bariah, the clan of the Berites. Of the clans of the sons of Bariah, of Heber, the clan of the Heberites, of Malkiel, the clan of the Malkielites, and the name of the daughter of Asher was Sarah. These are the clans of the sons of Asher as they were listed, 53,400. Here you have an increase of over 11,000. And I also wonder, as you might, why is Asher's daughter Sarah mentioned? You look in the previous chapter, nothing about a Sarah. You look in the next chapter, nothing about a Sarah. The unfortunate situation we're in as a reader is this, the presence of this woman's name is a complete mystery to the Bible reader. We do not know why Asher's daughter is mentioned here. She's not featured in any later text. Verse 48 gives us the last of the 12 tribes. Naphtali. We've made it. 12th tribe. The sons of Naphtali, according to their clans, of Jazeel, the clan of the Jazeelites, of Guni, the clan of the Gunites, of Jezer, the clan of the Jezerites, of Shilam, the clan of the Shilamites. These are the clans of Naphtali, according to their clans. And those listed were 45,400. This is the last person listed among the sons of Jacob here in this 12 tribe structure. And it's a decrease. From Numbers 1 to Numbers 26, 8,000 people different. The reason is not just a military purpose for these tribes and their numbers. I did mention to you there was a second purpose. We're not just counting warriors. We're trying to project for inheritance. They're going to go into the Canaanite territory. And what you will notice, if you looked at a Bible map that references the days of Joshua, these are not 12 tribes that get 12 equal pieces. If you look at the layout of Canaan, The tribal allotments are different sizes. And I want you to listen carefully to verses 52 to 56. This is about the coming inheritance. The Lord spoke to Moses, and here's what he says in verse 53. Among these, the land shall be divided for inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe, you shall give a large inheritance. And to a small tribe, you shall give a small inheritance. Every tribe shall be given its inheritance in proportion to its list. But the land 
shall be divided by lot. According to the names of the tribes of their fathers, they shall inherit, but the inheritance shall be divided according to lot between the larger and the smaller. I think we can put together these instructions like this. The larger tribes will get larger parts of the land. But which part of the land? How will they determine where Reuben and its substantial portion will be versus the Simeonites? While the size of the tribe will determine a proportion, the location is not determined by proportion, but by the casting of lots. This would no doubt involve the work of Eliezer the high priest and relying on the providential working of the Lord that the tribal locations and not their sizes would be determined by the lot. If you go to the book of Joshua, which we won't take time to do, but in Joshua 15, this is worked out. In Joshua 15, the conquest has already happened. And in Joshua 15, the territories are now going to be inherited. The larger tribes will get larger portions. And allotment, casting of lots, will determine locations. So a later reference that I think ties us to our chapter tonight would be Joshua 15. Now we have omitted a tribe this far. Numbers 1 did it as well. Levi is not named among them. And we've got to remind ourselves of some things we know from the Pentateuch so far. Levi is a son of Jacob, but Levi would be the tribe from which the priests would come, and the priests would not be given a territory like the other tribes. They would be given cities throughout the land, more on that at a later part in Numbers, but they are dependent on the territory and provision food, and financially from the other tribes. From the Levites will come the workers of the tabernacle, including the line of Aaron himself, who would be high priest and priests. The Levites will not be counted here because they will not fight in the conquest. Who are we counting when these numbers are given up through verse, five, through verse 51? We're counting the warriors of the conquest. The Levites have a responsibility to guard the tabernacle. They're not fighting the armies going out into battle with the Ark of the Covenant. They are instead guarding the tabernacle and they're doing what Phineas would do, preserving the sanctity of the holy place and the presence of Yahweh that's been made manifest through the tabernacle. But they are going to be counted. They're just not counted among the tribal warriors. That's why there's a separation with what we see now here, the numbered Levites. Let's look together at verses 57 and following. This was the list of the Levites according to their clans. Now, if you go back to Genesis, Levi has three sons. We learn this from uh, Exodus, rather. In Exodus, we learn that Levi has three sons. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. That's why these names are given here. In verse 57, this was the list of the Levites according to their clans. Of Gershon, well, what would we call his clan? Gershonites, I bet, and you're right. Uh, the Kohath uh, guy, his clan, the Kohathites, and Merari, well, his clan is the Merarites. These are the clans of Levi. And then we're told several people that are tied to these. Uh, we know that Libni is of Gershon. These are the clans of Levi. The clan of the Libnites, that's from Gershon. And then the clan of the Hebronites, that's from Kohath. And then the Malites and the Mushites, that is from Merari. So while we've, given, we've been given three sons of Levi, several descendants from them are given just now 
in verse 58. There is uh, another thing that is expanded on. Do you know the uh, clan of the Korahites? Korahites. Well, who would they be descended from? Well, not the rebel, right? Uh, in, in other words, these worshipers, while coming from him, don't have him primarily in view anymore. The sons of Korah separated from their wicked ancestor, their father. And now the Korahites are those who come from Levi. They're not priests, but they serve the tabernacle. The problem you may recall with Korah in number 16 is he was from Levi, but not through Aaron. And Korah envied Aaron and his descendants, and he desired the priesthood, which was not to be his. All priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. That didn't sit well with Korah. But here we have people who descend from Levi, these Korahites, who are these worshipers of Yahweh, not perishing with the one whose namesake they bear back in number 16. And I also want you to notice in verse uh, 15, at the, uh, 58 rather, in verse 58 at the very end, and Kohath was the father of Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amram Aaron and Moses and Miriam, their sister. Why are we being told this? Here are some comments about the Levites. Who did the Levites result in through various individuals? Ultimately, the family of Moses, that's who. This commentary right here tucked into the structure of the list and census, it matters because we've been reading the books of Moses. We've been reading about the one who is from the tribe of Levi to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And his brother Aaron became Israel's first high priest. When we read then about these figures in verses 59 and following, we're reading about these names whose stories we've been looking through in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. In fact, we know in verse 60 what happened here. To Aaron were born Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. When did that happen? Leviticus 10. This is a reach back, not just to an earlier story in Numbers. This part in Numbers expects you to know Leviticus. Leviticus 10 is the background to that tragic event where Nadab and Abihu set aside the regulations and commands of the Lord, and because of offering unauthorized fire, they die. Eliezer and Ithamar are the only ones of Aaron's sons that remained. And after Aaron died, which of his sons became high priest? Eliezer, Phineas's father. So we've been seeing these names in narratives from time to time, and now they're just all mashed together with all this family tree stuff. You feel like you're in, you just logged into Ancestry.com, didn't you, here in Numbers 26? You know, you're just looking at all this stuff. It's a lot of names and a lot of numbers. Listen, I feel it too. I'm, I'm talking through it. And as, as we're looking at all of this and, and seeing these little branches and noticing certain stories, we see in verse 62, these Levites who were listed were 23,000, every male from a month old and upward. For they were not listed among the people of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the people of Israel. The Lord is called the inheritance of the Levites. They're not going to get in land, so they're separated from the count. We can notice, though, something about Numbers earlier. Not Numbers 1. 
Numbers 3, the Levites were counted. And there is an increase to our chapter today. So while this isn't featured on the board, in Numbers 3, there were 22,000 Levites. And now there are 23,000. So the Levites increase. And when it comes to guarding the tabernacle and having priests to serve the people and mediate, an increase in the number of Levites is a good thing. Let's look at these closing statements. Verses 63 to 65 say these were those listed by Moses and Eleazar the priest who listed the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Think about that language at the end of the verse. Where are they when they're counting? This is a Moab census. But it's not a census of residents of Moab like Moabites. This is a census of Israelites who are in Moab. And they're also really close. They're in the plains of Moab. And the reason they're by the Jordan, that's the name of the river, right? So the Jordan River runs north to the Sea of Galilee, south to the Dead Sea. And here east of the Jordan River, there they are. What's right across the river? Jericho. We know that name because that's going to be the first place God delivers to the warriors in Joshua. So these warriors that have just been named will receive the victory of the Lord in Jericho that's been mentioned here as a city. They are so very close. So the counting of these warriors matter. But verse 63 is not the last verse. Verses 64 and 65 are worth reflecting on as well. But among these, there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai, for the Lord had said of them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Why do those names matter? Think back to the rebellion at the spies' report. In Numbers 13 and 14, there were spies who went into the promised land, 12 of them, and they came back with a report. Two of those 12 spies were Caleb and Joshua. The majority of the spies said, we are freaking out right now. We cannot go in that land. We are surely going to die. There is no, we came out here. We might as well perish in the wilderness. All of that panic and unbelief was followed by a judgment of the Lord. You want to perish in the wilderness, huh? Is that what you would prefer? Then one year for every day, the spies spied out the land. 40 days of spying becomes 40 days of 40 years of judgment. And the 40 year judgment includes the death of the rebel generation. I think we should understand these comments at the end of this chapter to mean this. The plague of Numbers 25 that wiped out the rebels and the largest disaster to that point, 24,000 people completed the judgment of the wilderness generation. Because we're told here that the only ones left of that generation are Caleb and Joshua. Not even Moses will be considered a survivor to enter the land. Why? Because when Moses dies, he will die before the conquest. So he's not even to be counted among those who will enter the land. The only people who came in through the wilderness generation that will enter the promised land will be Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua. And Joshua, the son of Nun, will be the new Moses in the books to come. The very next chapter will tell us this. Numbers 27 has a section where it is pronounced that Moses will be replaced by this one here. This is a big moment we reach in the literature of the book and in the timeline of Israel. That wilderness generation's judgment has now come to an end. 
And a new generation has arisen. We've seen in Numbers the death and resurrection of Israel. Israel has died and come up again. And they have come up as a new generation represented by people, Lord willing, like Phineas, who will care about the Lord, His words, who will have a zeal for holiness and righteousness, and who will go into the Lamb by faith to conquer and exercise dominion and subdue. When we read in verses 64 and 65, we're seeing then, I think, the completion of what the Lord had earlier pronounced. A judgment over 40 years that now has reached its culmination. Moses will die. He will not die in numbers, but this is the year he will die. And the reason we know this is because Aaron is three years older than Moses. And Moses dies at 120, and Aaron died at 123. In other words, though Aaron dies first, Moses will not live on into seasons upon seasons of life and die much later. Aaron dies and Moses dies in the same year. Moses will die at 120 years old. Deuteronomy, 20, Deuteronomy 34 will report his death. So we should not look at this language and say, Caleb is a survivor. Joshua is a survivor. Moses is still alive, right? Not for long. Not for long. These others will enter the land under the goodness and promise of the Lord. We have seen the death and resurrection of Israel, a new generation that has risen. We can notice in these chapters and in this structure and census and these charts and, uh, that we've analyzed, the spreadsheet of sorts that we've spent some time thinking through and comparing, we can notice the judgment of the Lord. I think you can notice that most specifically on the Simeonites. A representative of whom committed such a dastardly and outrageous act in the previous chapter that Phineas subdued. We notice here the judgment of the Lord because of the end of the census language. In verses 63 to 65, we're told God had earlier said they will die in the wilderness. These who come from the Exodus generation are not going to inherit the land. So we see the judgment of the Lord, even that this very census will instruct us in. We also behold the faithfulness of the Lord. You know what this census in number 26 tells us? Numbers 26 tells us God did not abandon his people. He was with them the whole way. He gave them manna every morning. He sustained them as a nation. And that though others died, they were being fruitful and they multiplied. And people grew up in the land to inherit the promises of God. You know what this census tells us? Though the people were unfaithful, God was faithful. These numbers are numbers that shout the goodness and faithfulness and mercy of God. It's unwavering. The promises of the Lord. He said 40 years and then not one from the wilderness generation will inherit the land. God has kept his promises. But he's also said that he will lead his people into the land to overcome those Canaanite armies. And here we're counting warriors because God keeps his promises. You can behold the faithfulness of the Lord, the promises of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord. We look at all of these names and they all say things about the Lord that demonstrate he is worthy of their trust and hope and praise. This is not the result of Israel being clever or because they got it together or because the Lord abandoned them. And in their own strategy, they ended up. Look at even the totals. The difference is negligible. 603,000. They didn't end up with just a few thousand of a new generation. 
It's nearly the same as the earlier number. 601,000. You say that is a decrease. Yeah. But over those 40 years, that's not much of one. A difference of just 1,820 people. The Lord, in other words, has prepared an army of comparable size of the previous one in order to deliver them the land as their inheritance. They can trust the Lord. They can trust that what God has promised, He will bring them into. They can trust Him all the way, day by day, even into the inheritance that is to come. These passages, like Numbers 26, are part of a larger story of types and shadows. And the people of God are known by the Lord. Even in Revelation chapter 7, a multitude of nations redeemed by the blood of Christ that no one could number. In other words, there's an ease of numbering these people, but what John beholds that these passages foreshadow is like the stars of the heavens and the sand of the sea that we read about in Genesis. Such a fulfillment of the promises of God that John seems to speak of them as a multitude no one could number. Well, that's quite something, isn't it? Those redeemed in order to receive what? We have to keep reading in the book of Revelation to realize they're not just receiving a political territory of Canaanite proportions and boundaries. No, the end of Revelation tells us it's a new heavens and a new earth. That they shall inherit the earth and that this earlier land that these tribes are going to go and conquer are going to be types of the new Jerusalem and new heavens and new earth to come. And will it be our inheritance as we are pilgrims in this pathway heading toward that celestial city? Will that be our inheritance because we have fought for it? Because our battles have been won? Because we came up against the enemies of God and triumphed? I think the message of the gospel is different. I think the message of the gospel does not celebrate a victory that we have accomplished. But instead the inheritance for the people of God is ours because the victory of the Lord has become ours. And it is the Lord Jesus who is a true and greater Joshua, defeating the principalities and powers, satisfying the judgment of God, and not even hell itself will prevail against Christ and his church. We are those heading toward a new Jerusalem to receive an inheritance given by the sheer grace and mercy of Christ our victor. What a gospel to believe. Let's pray.